Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive wine regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, learn about her favorite wines. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Susan Sokolblosser who will be one of the featured women in Wine Country Women of Willamette Valley, due out in 2020. Susan is a pioneering entrepreneur, a visionary, and civic leader. Susan, thank you so much for sitting down with us and inviting me here to your fabulous winery. Well, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Well, it's such a treat, and it's it's you know just such an honor to, to be with you and have you be a part of this project. Thank you. Before we start talking about Sokoblosser Winery, let's talk about what was your first paying professional job ever? My first paying professional job was as a teacher when I graduated from college in 1966. There were three professions open to women at the time. I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be a social worker. Teacher was left. And I went to Reed College, which had a Master of Arts in Teaching degree. And my first job was teaching high school social studies and history. So I actually was teaching students who were not much younger than I. Oh, wow. Was that rewarding? Did you enjoy it? Did you think you were going to have a career in teaching? Well, I wasn't sure I was going to have a career in teaching. I was hired by a principal who knew I'd gone to Reed College, which is famous for its mm, liberal view on life, and he wanted me to really do innovative things with his students. And then he left, and a very conservative principal took over, and he didn't like what I was doing in the classroom. He said, when I think of Susan Blosser, my ulcer acts up. So they were not happy to have me there. And at the same time, my husband, Bill Blosser, was trying to decide what he wanted to do with his life. He'd been working for the YMCA and decided he wanted to get a degree in city and regional planning. So we both left and went to North Carolina. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you, wow. I, I think of this as a past life because uh, right? this was before we started the vineyard. Just to accelerate your career story, what inspired you to build a winery in the middle of Willamette Valley? Well, we were coming back from North Carolina to Oregon in our Volkswagen camper bus. We were children of the 60s. And on the way, Bill had this crazy idea. He was coming back to teach at Portland State University. Um, and I was pregnant with our first child. He had this crazy idea about starting a vineyard. And I thought he was kidding, but he was serious. He <laughs> spent a year in France, and he just thought it would be interesting. So we talked about it all the way, and when we got to Oregon, we started looking for property because the big question was, 
um, do we want to be in Oregon or do we want to be in California? California had an established wine industry, not obviously as large as it is now. Oregon had none. We would be among the first. And lo and behold, we found there were a handful of other young urban professionals who were thinking the same thing. And those were the Eraths and the Ponzi's and the Campbell's. And we got together and helped each other. So I look back because people ask me, that's always the first question, what Why? were you thinking? Right. There was no wine industry in Oregon. We were two liberal arts graduates who had very little experience in either agriculture or finance. But your husband had planning experience. Well, he had planning experience, <laughs> but that was uh, not actually <laughs> relevant. But we knew how to do research. And we did a lot of research. And just because it hadn't been done didn't mean that it couldn't be done. And we worked with the other couples. We tried. We experimented with everything. And you have to think that we were in our mid-20s. We had nothing to lose. You know, we all of the families, um, all of the couples had children but and no money so we didn't have any money to lose right. um, we substituted our labor and we bought used equipment and we did everything and we worked other jobs so it was really putting one foot in front of the other as and just keeping going when i look back now I think we were part of an international momentum that was out-of-the-box entrepreneurial thinking. This is when Apple started, when Starbucks started. You know, it was a time we think of this uh, now. These are things we can't live without, but I think we were part of that energy that was just in the air, and our choice was to start a vineyard and winery. So you were the president of the winery for three decades? Well, no, just two. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to make you older. Um, so the history of that is we both worked other jobs, and then the decade of the 1970s, I had three children, worked part-time, and worked um, in the tasting room and just did whatever I could Bill was working doing planning in Portland. And in 1980, he was able to stop his job and come full-time in the winery. At that point, I didn't want to work for him. And so we looked for something I could do. The obvious thing was managing the vineyard. And the fact that I had absolutely no experience didn't stop me. You I, had a fresh perspective. I had a fresh, that's such a nice way of putting it. I was on the job learning, and I loved it. It was really a turning point in my life. So I managed the vineyards for the decade of 1980 to 1990. By that time, the economy was in recession. The world wasn't ready for Oregon Pinot Noir. Our sales were not what they, we wanted them to be, and Bill was burned out. I, on the other hand, had become really engaged, and I couldn't wait to take over. 
So he went back to work. I took over as president in January 2nd, 1991, and was president then until 2008. During the course of your presidency, what was the most challenging part of running the winery? Was there a challenge that you overcame or was there a moment perhaps that that you feel like you finally got the momentum and the recognition well, that, that you deserved? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. And the immediate challenge was that we had a huge inventory that we were not able to sell and um, owed a lot of money to the bank, and just to survive was a challenge. And I was able to survive. Right, and clearly. Build <laughs> the build the winery, um, hire a winemaker that, I mean, we tried a lot of different things. We tried concerts, which were fabulous, but, I mean, we had... John Denver and the Neville brothers and Jackson Brown and you know it was really terrific but it became the tail wagging the dog the idea had been to bring people out to wine country but we finally said what business are we in and as soon as we asked that question we stopped so our last concerts were in 1999 and by that time Oregon Pinot Noir was starting to make inroads and become nationally recognized. Uh, recognized, although it would be a number of years before the Wine Spectator finally acknowledged us the way we wanted to be acknowledged. Oh, wow. Um, but, and at that point, we had finally, after... Um, I can't remember exactly the year, but probably after the turn of the 21st century, we actually started making money. But for many years, it was a good year if we lost less this year than we did last year. Oh, wow. So um, it was a struggle. Well, you say that, and I have to ask, you know, what continued to drive you? Because that could be quite frustrating. Well, it was frustrating, and one of the reasons Bill went back to work was because we saw our standard of living going down, um, and the reality was that he could command much more in the workplace than I could. And I really didn't want to go back to teaching, and I really wanted the challenge of running the winery. I'm not quite sure why, as I look <laughs> back. It was a little crazy, but I did. And um, I, it was almost as if failure wasn't an option. Right. We were going to make this work. Well, your perseverance prevailed. Well, yes, there's a lot to be said for perseverance. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to talk more about Sokol Blosser, but, but I also want to ask, because I'm sure you've, you've been asked this question before, if someone says, Susan, I want to start a winery. What's your reaction? Well, because my experience was such a struggle, my first reaction is usually not to say what I'm thinking, which is, you're nuts. Don't do it. Um, but, and I've had, I'll never forget, 
an attorney who came up to me and said, I really want a winery, and when I retire, I'm going to start a winery. And I wanted to say to him, yes, when I retire, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> because he clearly had no idea what was involved in what he was wanting Asking to for. Yes, it has a glamorous look, mm -hmm. and we want it to have a glamorous look, but the reality is it's a lot of hard work. When you look at the shelves on a in a grocery store or in a wine, wine store, wine shop, and it's just immobilizing to see how many wines are there, what you may not realize is the competition just to get on that shelf. And then, of course, the competition that your particular bottle will be bought. And stay there on the shelf. I mean, or right. continue to stay there. Be bought and be replenished. Right. Good point. Getting back to Soko Blosser and some key things that were that you were instrumental in, in spearheading here. You were the first lead winery? Yes, yes. Well, sustainability has been a value of our whole family. And Bill, in his planning, did a lot of environmental impact statements and really educated me uh, from the beginning uh, before the word sustainability was part of our lexicon. And we looked for how, what we could do in the winery in every part of the operation. Our motto became sustainability across the operation. So when we needed a new barrel cellar and we finally decided to bite the bullet and do it, we looked at how we could do it sustainably. And it was interesting because the first architect we hired who had done a lot of wineries um, didn't know much about sustainability and we decided not to go with him in the end and hire somebody who'd never done anything in a winery but knew sustainability back and forward. So it ended up that our winemaker bore the brunt of that education, but we ended up with a really wonderful facility where that is maintains the right temperature without air conditioning or heating. And um, our Pinot Noir barrels are now happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a, it's actually ended up being financially good because the humidity in the barrel cellar means that the barrels don't lose the wine that they did in our previous facility above ground. Well, that, that has to be a proud moment for you. Too. That was a really proud moment. And this is when the LEED program from the U.S. Green Building Council was just beginning. So we were really pioneers in that. There were a lot of buildings that signed up to do it, but not everyone finished we finished, we got the certification, and became the first winery building in the world to get this certification. Amazing. Now, others have gone on and done, we got silver, others have gone on and done bigger and better things, but we were first. Yeah, you led the charge. We led the charge. So that's, that's definitely a proud moment. Are there other proud moments that you have? 
under your leadership here? Well, I think one of my proudest moments is that we did a successful transition to the second generation. And they've taken over, they've done really well. It meant that I had to give up control. Yeah, how was um, that? That was really, really difficult. Um, I didn't realize it was going to be that difficult when I, because I instituted the transition. Um, we did a three-year transition, but I survived it. <laughs> and well, I mean, what it meant was essentially that one day I was Susan's CEO, and the next day I wasn't. And that's but you remain an that's ambassador. Hard. Well, I remain an ambassador, and. Um, I deal with that in my memoir because it was such such a difficult time for me, but it was a it's something I'm most proud of because I learned that so many families do not turn over control. They just take longer and the parents just take longer and longer vacations. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. You've taken this time to explore other areas. I don't even know if that's fair to say because you have been an author for some time. Well, I started while I was still president of the winery writing, trying to make sense, I think, of what I had been through. And also because a friend said to me, you know, things in the wine industry are changing. There are not many people who knew what it was like at the beginning, you do, start writing. And that got me going. So I came out with uh, At Home in the Vineyard in 2006. It was published by University of California Press. And then after I turned over control in 2008, I really did start writing other things. And my latest book is called Seven Lessons at 70, Notes from the Front Line, and it's on aging. Oh, wow. So what's one takeaway that people should, can you give them a preview, a takeaway? Of Seven Lessons at 70? Mm -hmm. Well, my thesis is that aging is the new frontier for my generation, that we're redefining what it means to retire what it means to, in fact, nobody I know likes that word, what it means to grow old gracefully. And the interesting thing, we're making it up as we go along, and the interesting thing is that it's not our first frontier because my generation redefined the playing field for gender relations. So we made that up as we went along. Right. So we're ready for this. We're going to do it. We're going to make growing old more meaningful. What it really means is the conventional way thought of retirement is that you stop. You don't do anything. Or maybe you play bridge or you play golf. But you don't reinvent yourself. And that's what I think the women and men that I know that have had active, productive careers aren't going to sit in a rocking chair. You know, what are we going to do? So we're looking at how we're going to reinvent ourselves and start something new. How would you say that you've reinvented yourself? Well, I ran for office 
I was recruited right after I left uh, the presidency and ran for office and didn't win, but I had so much momentum and became so engaged with the community that I decided I could work locally on issues that interested me. I didn't have to be at the state level. I had raised a ton of money and I was able to take that money and start a 501c3 nonprofit, which deals with issues in Yamhill County. It's called the Yamhill Enrichment Society, or YES. Yes. And our mission is to create access to literacy, music, and art programs for the youngest members of Yamhill County. And you're also involved with the Bounty Yamhill County? Well, that's one of our programs. The Bounty of Yamhill County, or BOYC as we call it, is both a project and a program. It's a fundraiser for our other projects, our literacy and music projects, but it's also got an economic development theme because Yamhill County has this incredible coming together of talented chefs, small family farms, and famous wines at a level that few other places have. So we want to tell the world, we want to make Yamhill County a national culinary destination. And the last weekend in August, every year, we do this weekend of culinary adventures. Wonderful. Don't we all want to come to that? I hope so. Are you selling tickets yet? Well, we are selling tickets. We have a website, bountyofyamhillcounty.com. Okay. Everybody should buy a ticket now for a once-in-a-lifetime memorable experience in the middle of Willamette Valley. I couldn't have said it better. Want to learn more about women who live in wine country? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley and Wine Country Women of Sonoma County. They are available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. Our lifestyle book, Wine Country Women of Willamette Valley, is expected to release in 2020. Okay, so let's talk about your personal life. We've kind of hit on a couple of parts of it, but I want to kind of do a deep dive a little bit more. Let's talk about your home. If I took a step inside your home, what would I see? What is your decorating style? What, you know, what would I see? Well, the first thing that you would notice if you came over is that we have a large natural garden around us and a pond which has koi in it. And just outside, it's, we're talking in July right now, so this is on my mind. Right next to the pond is a, like a porch swing, which is a great place to sit and read or just watch the fish in the pond. We've got a large vegetable garden. So the outdoors surrounding the house is really important. The inside of the house, we built this in 2006 when we were, this was sort of the height of our sustainability quest, and we got the into what was then called the not-so-big house. And so we built a house that is actually smaller than we wished, we wished it was, <laughs> um, but it's got a great room. Uh, so a large room that is the lived-in room and the kitchen right there. It's very simple. It's not Danish modern, not that simple, 
but uh, it's not fancy. Colors? The colors, well, we do have a big um, Iranian rug on the floor, so that is most of the color. Uh, we've got a Pendleton, large Pendleton blanket on the wall, um, and the colors would be, there's some red, brown, um, earth tones, right. That's okay. a good way of putting it. The floor is polished concrete. Oh, and that's the fascinating. Ki the kitchen is cork floor. And a lot of wood that is old oak that was um, pulled up from the rivers. And so it has a very fine grain, all the cabinets and the doors and everything. And how did... You and beams. Oh, yes. Lots of beams. Big, <laughs> big, very high ceiling. I like the high ceilings. How did you choose to use the oak? Well, we worked with a sustainable builder mm -hmm. who had access to this. And so it was um, recycled oak, essentially. No trees were cut down specifically for us. And then we have a little nook, like a breakfast nook, that was made out of a big elm that we had to take down. Oh. So it was... Uh, it didn't go away. Yes, it didn't go away. It just, you just reinvented Repurposed it. Itself. it. Yeah, repurposed <laughs> it. What town is your home in? Well, we're, we're in rural Dayton. Okay. And how did you choose that area? Well, that's where our vineyard is. I live right at the base of the vineyard. Okay. But all the places you could have you could have chosen to live in Willamette Valley, what was it about well, when the Dayton we, area? Yes, when we chose our vineyard, our original vineyard site, and this is just down the hill from it, uh, we were looking for, since there were no vineyards, we had right. nothing to base it on, but we were looking for orchards that had been successful because they bloom in the early spring, and that meant it would be a frost-free pocket. Oh, that's so interesting. So that has served us well. What happens is that the cold air comes in, and it goes, sweeps down the hill and settles in the valley. So the valley is colder than the hillsides. Right. Right. Well, it was really the finding the perfect vineyard site that dictated where you chose to live. Right. And right. when Bill and I were raising our children, we were in a different house that was up next to our original vineyard um, when I decided to build a house on the come back. I actually moved into Portland for a while okay. when I decided I needed, I missed the vineyard, I had to come back um, with my husband who was the, then the winemaker at Sokol Blosser, um, we would have loved to have been in a view site up on the hill, but that's where the grapes need to be. So we took a site that was not a disturbed site, already disturbed, and was not a place where grapes could grow. Well, that seemed like a wise decision at the time, for sure. Yes. And it served you well. Yes. <laughs> when you aren't working on one of your projects or writing a book, 
do you have other hobbies that you enjoy? Well, I do. I like to knit. I'm an avid knitter, and I've been doing much more of that since I stepped back from the um, running the winery. I just, well, actually almost a year ago, started piano lessons. Oh, wow. Um, I used to play the piano when I was much younger, and I couldn't wait to give it up. But now I'm really enjoying playing just for myself, trying to get my two hands coordinated. Um, but it's, it's really, that's fun. And then I do a lot of reading as well and gardening. And so is there a piano recital in the future? Absolutely <laughs> not. No? Absolutely not. That's part of the joy of my playing now is I don't have to play for anybody. I don't have to show off. This is purely for me. Well, super. That's super. Is there anything that people might be surprised to learn about you? A hidden talent. Uh, you collect something unusual. Um, you speak a language that's not common. I don't know. Seriously. <laughs> oh, that's so, funny. There are some quirky things I hear sometimes. Well, I wish I had something really quirky, but you know, I'm just too plain, I guess. No, no, you're you're too busy making your mark in the world. That's it. Other than Sokol Blosser, what do you like to drink at home? We're in wine country. Do you like to drink wine? Well, I do like to drink wine. I especially like bubbles. Yes. Who doesn't so, love bubbles? Yes, who doesn't like bubbles? But I also um, love sparkling water with flavors. So I have a ginger turmeric uh, drink from Rishi, which is made in my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I put a little bit of that in and some sparkling water, and it's a lovely drink. Very refreshing. Okay, well, believe it or not, it's time for us to wrap things up. So I like to wrap things up with what I like to call five quick questions. So the idea is not to really think too hard about the answers. They're very lighthearted. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. What kind of car do you drive? Prius. Okay. Where did you take your last vacation? London. Okay. What time do you like to get up in the morning? 5.30 or 6. Oh, my goodness. What is one of your all-time favorite movies? Oh, my gosh. Singing in the Rain. Okay. And which do you prefer, ice cream or potato chips? Ice cream. Okay, there you go, Susan. <laughs> You've been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. It has been fun. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.